Hello and welcome to another episode of the Urban Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with the legal and financial news that matters to you. My name's Ted Powell, and today we're going to focus on mental health in elite sport. The win-at-all-costs culture in elite sport can make it difficult to express vulnerability. Resilience, perseverance and grit are celebrated in sport, and performance is focused on more than anything else. In this environment, discussing mental health challenges can be hard, but this narrative appears to be changing. Recently, Wayne Rooney has spoken openly about his mental health struggles throughout his career. In rugby, Joe Marler has discussed his experiences with depression and use of antidepressants. And in tennis, Naomi Osaka has put her mental health first and stepped out of the French Open to focus on this. Today, we'll discuss the growing awareness of mental health in sport, consider the unique mental challenges that athletes face and think about what the future of mental health in sport could and should look like. And I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest, Lloyd Ashley, to help me tackle these issues. Lloyd, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, Ted. Thank you very much. And I think it's fantastic that we are uh, raising awareness. We are speaking about um, these issues and the fact that uh, so many players have come out, whether they're speaking about mental illness or mental health, I think is so important because uh, they are, in, in a way, cultural architects. They're willing to willing to actually not only uh, break down the barriers for themselves and gain support in that respect, but gain so much more support for everybody else around them just so they don't feel alone. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's brilliant to have you on, Lloyd. And for those of you that don't know, Lloyd is a professional rugby player at Ospreys with over 150 appearances. And off the playing field, Lloyd is the lead for mental health and well-being for the Welsh Rugby Players Association. And in this role, he champions awareness and education for mental health in sport. And Lloyd is also the founder and director of Living Well with Lloyd Ashley, which is a company that aims to support well-being for businesses, universities, clubs and charities. So who better could we have on to talk about mental health in, in elite sport? Um, so Lloyd, to start with, I wanted to wind back to when you first started playing professional sport. Um, can you tell us a bit about when that was and if you can, what the, what the match was? I was, so probably around 2011, I think the first game was, I think my first pro game for the Ospreys was against um, Exeter Chiefs in Sandy Park. It seems, a, it's weird, it seems a long time ago since that game, but it doesn't feel like I've been in the game that long either, even though it's been uh, 10, 11 years now at uh, pro level, it doesn't seem, it's gone in uh, a clap of a hand. So no, yeah. I've been uh, very fortunate to be around the game for so long. Um, but I still remember those days like they were yesterday or the year, year before that, you know what I mean? It's still it's still so fresh in your memory. So I've been very lucky and I've absolutely loved uh, my playing career up to this date. And, and back then, so 10 and 11 years ago when you were first getting into the sport, can you remember what awareness was like for mental health, whether it was discussed, whether there was any um, training around it or was it not really spoken about? Um, it wasn't spoken about as a topic. I still think there was uh, very empathetic people around and people who wanted to be there to discuss things. I still think there were certain things spoke about at that time, which is to do with your mental health, but not really understanding it was to do with your mental health. Uh, but I don't think the conversation was broad enough. I don't think that 
Um, a lot of people were included there. I think there was limited people who, who were empathetic just in their ways and understanding their ways who were there to speak to people rather than it being a societal or an environmental thing. And we've learned over the years that you need to train that. You need to break down the stigmas. You need to break down the barriers. You need to fight against the stereotypes of being a professional rugby player to actually get those conversations started. And the more we've raised awareness, the more we've seen these changes. But we've also seen different barriers that we didn't realize were in place as well and I think that was really important to evolve and adapt on the run as well and not just think you're going to get to um, the golden point straight away as well yeah and, and and kind of looking at that time span from when you first started playing to now what would you say are some of the key developments that we've seen in mental health both positive in terms of improvements and also potential new barriers that have come in that have made it more difficult to speak about yeah, so if I go to the negative side of things, uh, first of all, social media is a huge one. Um, a lot of the players now are uh, role models on social media. They're, they're uh, public, very public. And you think of some of the boys, how many followers they'd have on online social presence. That, that gives access to a lot of people, to, to these players, and these, especially these young professionals coming through now. Um, so a lot of people have got a chance to voice their opinion towards them, and that can have a huge effect on somebody's mental health. I think there's a lot of things in the game that have stayed the same. The uh, impact of injury short-term contracts, those things are always going to be there. They're always going to be the same things, but we still need to support players through that. But I think the huge positive is the rugby players are realising that they're not rugby players, they're human beings that play rugby. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest learning curve. And that is still ongoing. It's not something that's... Uh, that's now we've said it, it, it just completely makes sense to everybody. Uh, but it's important from a from a psychological point of view, we're putting the human being first rather than the rugby player first. And I think that's the biggest change in uh, how we're going about our business now. Yeah, and, and it's great to hear that from your point of view, there is more of a, a human element coming into, into sport. Um, I think social media is a, a really interesting point to look at. And, and like you said, you see players now come onto the scene uh, and they can be really young and they can see their social media platform go from a few hundred followers to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands in, in a matter of months. And I don't know how you can go about preparing someone to have that level of exposure and that level of fame uh, in such a short space of time. It really is a, a difficult, a difficult problem to approach. Yeah, it is a very difficult uh, problem to approach, especially when I'm sitting there and I've like with a couple of thousand followers, and you're trying to explain to somebody how bad it could be to get a uh, hundred thousand. And I don't mean how bad, because players players have also got to be educated on how to use this positively and how to enhance their um, off-field work uh, by by using that that presence, uh, but also not distracting from from their job as well. So it's it's a very hard balance because it can be very positive for players, and obviously they're going to receive a lot of feed uh, positive their feedback from from different things but you've also got to educate them around the fact that that maybe five percent it might only be one percent negativity that's coming towards them and you you have to prepare them for that and it, it's definitely ways of going about it showing tweets that might have been sent to somebody else or instagram messages um like i know the wiu done a campaign last last year where they sort of screenshotted everything the fans had put up and then said, like, sort of asked the question to everybody, do you think this is fair? Do you think this is okay? And then obviously 99% like, uh, of people again are going, no, this is ridiculous. 
why are we doing this? It's the, the people who are tweeting you, not not just not just these rugby players that stay on the field and should only be on the rugby field. They're, they're human beings, and yeah. that's important that we do uh, raise our awareness. But people do have to understand that things could come their way. Yeah. How do they deal with it if they do come their way? Whether it's speaking to your friends, family, understanding that that's just somebody's opinion, and everybody. Well, we say it. everybody is entitled to their opinion. It, it, I don't think it always needs to be directed individually like they, like they do, but it's important as well as a team. You speak about things. I know a couple of the tweets, a couple of like my teammates or I've had over the years. I've shown somebody else, and we've had a bit of a laugh about it, turned into a bit of a bit of a funny giggle. But it's not easy for somebody who's 18, who's who seems like they're doing really well and their transition is going really smooth, and then all of a sudden, uh, somebody online with probably no photo up as their screenshot, uh, and they go in, "Well, you're crap. I don't know." why you think you're going to be an international player and it's like oh am yeah. i not that am i not that good and the self-doubt can come in the pressures come the pressures come on but we just need to raise that awareness hopefully before it happens and as part of the resilience for rugby program that we run with the welsh rugby players association that that i lead up around the academies it's something we speak about um show them some of the tweets i've had i talk to them about some of the tweets teammates have had and just say like how would that how do you think that would make you feel what yeah. could you do if you do have that? And just challenge those things before they've actually happened rather than waiting for somebody to have abuse held to them and they're not actually dealing with it. And I'm going to be honest with you, some of the things that are said, they're over the mark and they're too far. And yeah. um, it's not always, it's not nice to see. I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you. And that's where sometimes uh, it has to go a little bit further and ask whether... Um, at times, sadly, police have to get involved or, in other words, um, the club might have to get involved and get in touch with someone and say, no, you're not speaking to my players like that. That's not that's not on. And so there, it does have to be escalated at times, but at times as well, it's about uh, seeing what you do and then having a laugh and a joke about it with each other and just just remembering the fact that they wouldn't come to train on a Monday and do what you did and they wouldn't do the do the work that you do to get through to a game as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and sticking on the social media point, I think whilst we've discussed the dangers, which uh, which are really important to be aware of, it seems like there's a lot of uh, positives around the use of social media as well. Um, how much of a role do you think social media has played in players feeling able to speak openly about their their feelings, about their mental health and be seen as humans rather than as just athletes? Yeah, I think it's a huge, uh, been a huge positive, um, and to a to an audience that um, could be stuck under the old stereotypes of oh, we need to man up, we need to do this. So to see somebody who's a role model to them and supposed to be this galactico figure, being able to say, look, I, I've struggled, I've had this going on, I've had that going on. It's re- it really caught me. I didn't know what to do, didn't know who to speak to. People are, are sitting there going, wow, I feel like that. And it might be in there. And the nice thing about social media as well, sometimes I might open it and I might be in the comfort of my own house so I don't feel vulnerable looking at these videos, looking at somebody, something somebody's put out. And it's really important that we have used our social media space. And it's a question I often ask the, the academy boys who are going to be the next uh, set of professionals. Like, what do you think you could do to break down the stigmas uh, for, for people your age? And they, they talk about like retweeting things, sharing information, showing that they take it seriously seriously so other people know that it's fine to really speak about mental health and to acknowledge the fact that we've all got mental health and we do need to do something about it as well whether it's support and I think we're in a mindset where when we speak about mental health we only think it's about the bad stuff it, 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 our mental yeah. health is with us every day so yeah if we can yeah. do things to to keep us well 
that, that's good for our mental health. And that that's still speaking about mental health. And I think that's starting to change now. We're, we're talking about um, alternative like therapies, treatments, uh, like the cold water stuff. Everyone's going, oh, it's nice to do every day. I've got something to do every day. Whether it's going out walking, we're, we're understanding more that there's things that keep us well around our mental health. And we're speaking about those things now as well, rather than just the, just the mental illnesses. And I think that's a really interesting point <clears> you make. And definitely... It seems like in the past, there's maybe been a focus on uh, the big treatments for, for mental health. So looking at something like antidepressants or seeing a psychologist. But now there's more of an awareness that something like jumping in some cold water, going for a walk or just sitting and having a beer with your mate are also really important um, tools that we have to, to manage our mental health. It doesn't need to be a big, major treatment that you go and get. It can be something as simple as going for a walk and having a chat with a friend. Yeah, and I think that's where um, emotional literacy comes around, understanding the difference between mental illness and mental health. Mm. And like, that's a huge thing, because somebody might be in a depressive state, but they might not be depressed. They might just have a low mood for a couple of days. And we're all going to have those times where our mental health's affected. And at times we've asked the question, oh, so have you, has your mental health ever been affected? It's like, well, obviously my mental health's been affected, because we spoke about it the same as, as mental illness, Everyone's like, no, my mental health has never been affected. And it's like, well, it has. Like, it could have been a bad couple of weeks. It could have been a bereavement in the family. It could have been a divorce. It could have been a bad argument with one of you and your friends. It could be on a run, run, run of bad work. Like, there's, there's lots that going on that can affect your mental health. And it's important that we do understand the difference. And there'll be lots of different things that work for different people. But even we don't even think about our times. We're going to see our friends, going out for a walk with our partners or our family. Those things are huge for our mental health, and I'm a huge, I'm a huge believer in cohort therapy. It's been, it's been massive for, for, for my well-being in general. And like, I, I love it. I've got a, I've got a whiskey barrel in the back garden. I fill up <laughs> the cold water. I love it. So, um, it was weird because it comes around uh, from a performance point of view. It was always like ice bath, ice bath. But didn't realize when you come out and you have that buzz, you don't really realize what it's about. And then you start doing a bit of research, like uh, reading up on the Wim Hof studies and things like that, and you realize how much science is behind it and how how it gets your endorphins going and uh, gets you into that fight, flight or freeze mode. And uh, it's important that we do do it and find ways to help us. And it's not going to be for everybody, but it's important that we do try things because a lot of people say, oh, no, it wouldn't work for me. Well, how do you know? You haven't tried it or you tried it once and now one day uh, you didn't feel loads better by the next day and you're like, oh, it doesn't work for me. So it's important that we do try and give these a proper crack and 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 sometimes it's nice to take something off and go, no, it didn't work for me, but I'm glad I tried it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be really interesting, Lloyd, to understand a bit more about your kind of journey and your interest in, in mental health. Obviously, you've gone from a young a young guy coming into professional rugby to where you are now and all of the amazing work that you're doing with the Welsh Rugby Union and with Living Well with Lloyd Ashley. Can you tell us a bit about your interest in mental health and, and what kind of kick-started that? Are you saying now that I'm an old guy in rugby now? You said you come in as a young guy. I, I was trying Absol to read through the lines. Absolutely not. You're in, you're, you're in your prime, Lloyd. You're in yeah. your prime. <laughs> yeah, my mother keeps telling me that as well. Yeah, a lot... So there's there's a few different aspects to it. Um, seeing people close to me struggling with their mental health and sometimes they go into mental illness and seeing the effect 
or probably the lack of effect that I had on that and not understanding what to do, not understanding what was going on, the process, how the, those high days, how, how people have those low days. And then, um, so you see that. I look at it from a rugby point of view. I, from, a, from a young age, being in the physio room, somebody's just had a really bad injury. You're going on a Monday, oh, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, good, you? You're like, well, I know you're not good, but I don't yeah, really know yeah. what to do. I don't really know what to do about it. And then... Um, that understanding, and then I was sort of looking things to do off the field and understanding what where I, where I want my career to go. And I didn't really know I liked teaching, but I couldn't get on my teaching qualification because I didn't have enough time. So somebody said to me, "Oh, what about lecturing? You can do post compulsory education training with without having all your degree, and you don't need as much time." So I thought, "Oh, that's that's a good idea." So I, I looked at starting that course, and it was um, starting in like a September. Somebody said to me, "Oh, you've got nine months to learn. What are you going to do to learn?" And I was like. I'll have, I'll have a little look, see, see what's in. And then somebody said to me, oh, this is an introduction to counselling course for the next 12 weeks. One night a week for the next 12 weeks costs 100 quid. I was like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. anybody who's doing this course, Brian. I'm going to go for it. It's going to be a bit out of my comfort zone. It's going to be different. And I just learned so much. I learned the fact that we have, um, we always say you okay rather than how you feeling. So everybody just got an easy out, just go, yeah, good. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Uh, you ask how you're feeling, somebody has to s- sort of sit back and think about it. Um, making people feel safe. Like loads of the time we've got our phones in front of us. We're in a space where somebody could be listening to our conversation. So even if you ask somebody the question, they're probably not going to want to answer there. But how, how can you make it feel safe? Is it whether it's going for a coffee, whether it's going for a quieter place, whether it's going out for a walk and having a talk? Um, so that introduction to counseling course just, just changed my mind about how we go about things. And um, if we want people to actually answer us, we need to ask them properly as well. And like having your phone in front of you is not a good idea. If there's loads of people around, if, like, it's not a good idea to ask them then in front of everybody, or oh, what's wrong with you, or what's, what's, what's going on. So that changed my mind. And then I started doing my uh, lecturing qualification. I thought, with the introduction to counselling course, uh, with my rugby background, what, what can I start doing? And then, so I seen like the mental health first aid. I seen, I seen after I did that, there was an instructor's qualification. I was like, oh, that, that'll go quite well, actually, with my lecturing qualification. And then... A couple of those things come up, and I was thinking, I I think I could do a course here that that were really valuable. Mm. And I started speaking it from a rugby point of view about whether we could run something in the academies. And then I, I started looking at my school's program, thinking, I wish at a younger age, somebody who I could resonate with, somebody who I could look up to, come in and spoke about this topic, and. I thought, oh, well, give it a go, try it. So I sort of, we sort of planned the Resilience Rugby program um, with a clinical psychologist uh, from the WIU and the sports psychologist from the uh, from the Ospreys. We sort of come together and put a course together. And then I designed a um, Resilience for Schools program as well. And then I just started running those and thinking, I like what this is about. I don't know where the end product is. I don't know if we've got the product right yet, but I think doing something rather than nothing is a much better thing. And started going in, adapting little bit parts of the program. All of a sudden, the conversation's changing. I'm asking people something, and they're giving you honest answers back, which you didn't think you were going to get. Or you you go into a different school, and you face a different barrier to what you thought you were going to face. Or you go into a certain rugby club, and they're like, oh, is it okay we speak about this? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. you okay for them? So 
there were so many different things going on. And then you sort of realize that you've got a huge passion for what you're doing. You're really enjoying what you're doing. And you're also seeing the effect that it's having, the conversations you're having, the things people are willing to say in front of their other peers. Um, the old arm around each other. You see boys like actually looking after each other rather than hiding away from these things. And I'm not saying we're anywhere near where we need to be and getting it so that it's completely open, but the conversation has changed so much. And I've, I've been very fortunate to be part of some fantastic groups where you've sat, sort of sat back after and gone, boys, that's powerful. You're, yeah. you're going to have a much yeah. better bond from for each other. You're going to have more respect for each other. And also, you're going to feel better as an individual for being able to get that off your chest as well. Yeah, no, 100%. And we've touched on it and we've mentioned it. But for those listening, could you just summarize the resilience program that you're that you're running in a few sentences to give, to give everyone a really clear idea of, of the amazing work that you're doing with these clubs? Yeah, so if we go, the, the resilience for rugby program is, so it's a mental health awareness course designed around rugby. So um, it, it will look at the, um, the red flag areas in rugby. So if I just name a couple now, so injuries, selection, short-term contracts, uh, social media, and life outside of rugby while, while people have got to balance. So we just, we yeah. just speak about those things. Um, we speak about if you've got problems going on or if it's one of your teammates got problems going on, how can you help yourself and how can you help your teammates? And just starting that conversation for them to, to make them understand that even though they know the people in rugby, it's important that they know them out to rugby as well. So they really understand the individuals. So they can really support each other. So that's the crux. Of, that's the crux of the resilience rugby course. And it's uh, three parts of the program um so it's like raising awareness sort of a powerpoint session session two is is around a check-in we sort of i asked the question about what did you take out of the first session what what was the new learnings for you has anything changed since and we sort of have a check-in about what players have got going on whether it's in rugby outside of rugby whether it's injuries going on at the moment whether they got issues around contracts um could be international duties especially for these uh, academy boys and then uh session three which is uh people people laugh at me when i say it but it, it's, it's it's a really good and fun session but we, we do sort of um uh, uh somebody you will play out scenarios you put okay. boys into groups and you'll actually go through a scenario that could be very realistic so if i just talk about some of the things we that we, we would do we'd split them into three groups and go right your group is doing um sort of a little play and acted out as if you would how would you support your mate how what would happen if they got told this news so the first one could be um somebody's just been told that they haven't got a contract for next year mm-hmm. so we'll have somebody acting as a coach telling us telling one of the players they haven't got uh they haven't got a contract this year uh for next year uh we'll have one of the other players might have already had good news but how, how would he still support them if you were a friendship group around this mate how would you help them um how would that person tell his family? And then the rest of the group obviously sat back laughing their head off about what's going on. <laughs> and then you sort of go to them, right, if that was you, how would you want support? Yeah. If that was you, how would you support them? Yeah. What, what did you see there where you think, oh, no, I definitely do that or I wouldn't do that? So all of a sudden you're having a discussion, a real discussion about how you think someone would feel in that scenario before it's happened. How could we support that person before it's happened? And we'll do that. It might be something, uh, the other one might be something about uh, an an injury and how that could affect somebody. And then probably the last one would be something outside of rugby. So we're we're talking to youngsters here. So it might be something like so-and-so's tweeted this 
and you've retweeted the clubs. The club's been in trouble. There's been comebacks from it. The media have got involved. Uh, how are you going to feel? Mm-hmm. How's that going to make you feel? What, what are you going to say to your family? How, how are you going to support that as friends? So we just make realistic situations. We play them out. We have a bit of fun with it. And just remind people that like these things happen. And then you've got to say to them, right, out of those three, what three of the, what are, what's realistic? What could happen to some of you boys in the room? And they're all going, oh, that could happen to most of us, actually. Yeah. And then yeah. you saw, you just, just make it real and, you bring it back to life. You've had a bit of you've had a bit of a laugh about it. And, and my big thing is that we don't always speak about the negative side of, of mental health, but we also see how quick it could spiral uh, yeah. if we don't if we don't support ourselves and support our friends. So, now it's it, it's a nice way of doing it a little bit differently. And we adapt it every year when things do change. Uh, if we've managed to get with a group before, we probably go in more in depth in the conversation. So now it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a fantastic program considering we didn't have anything in place before. But it's obviously it's got to carry on growing, and that, that's obviously our hope as well. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds absolutely fantastic, Lloyd. And I'll be really interested to hear about what you've learned from it in terms of the type of um, struggles and challenges that that these these young players are facing. Um, you've mentioned some of those specific points, um, like short term contracts, injuries, social media. Do you think there's anything else that's unique to athletes that can lead to mental health struggles? We've got to be honest, there's a lot of pressure on these young athletes. They've probably been the best player in their school, the best player in their club team, uh, one of the best players in their regional age-grade teams, and then all of a sudden they come into like under-20s international or they come into the senior team environment and they start becoming a small fish in a big pond. And yeah. that that's hard. There's a lot of pressure. And from the outside, still people are going... Oh, it's fantastic. We've seen him now. He's with the Ospreys. He's with the Dragons. He's with the Scarlets. He's with Cardiff Rugby now. And then they don't see the pressure that that person's under. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, in, in a month's time, they're going, oh, I haven't seen you play. And you're going, well, I'm nowhere near playing. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm part of a training squad and trying to build my way up. And then all of a sudden, there's a lot of pressure coming from the outside. And on the inside, you're trying to earn your respect. You're trying to show what you can do. You're trying to get an opportunity. And so um, that's one of the balances that's, that's really hard, especially as uh, young professional athletes. And what we've really got to remember about these athletes is they're facing the same problems away from training as everybody else is. The yeah. struggles, the struggles that come with come with life, and whether it's financial, whether it's relationships, whether it's family, there's so much going on that they still have to balance up. But everybody's going right. You've got to be perfect in rugby. You've got to you've got to be this good. You've got to be that. You've got to be that. And I know that pressure comes in other jobs, but it's probably not quite as intense as it is in professional sport. Yeah, I think so. And I, th- and I think as well, it's maybe not as appreciated in as in professional sport as it is in other areas. I think athletes and, and rugby players are seen as these performance machines that go out on the weekend and deliver a performance. But people don't always remember that they go home to relationships where there could be issues, to parents that could be ill, to children who are really struggling at school, to mortgages that, mortgages that they've got to pay. Um, there's all of those pressures going on alongside having to go out and deliver a performance in front of however many thousand people. 
Yeah, it's, it is such an interesting point. And uh, somebody said, I was doing a podcast a couple of months ago and somebody said to me, you've probably got exactly the same problems as me, but your problems are probably more expensive than mine. Yeah. And I thought that was, that, was, that was quite an interesting way of doing it. I'll be honest, I'm not, uh, I'm not on Cristiano Ronaldo's money, so we're not, we're not talking <laughs> about really expensive problems here. But it is right, you, you live to your means, and you, but you've got the same things going on. And yeah. I think sometimes we forget that. And it is important to uh, educate players that the fact that they're not, just rugby players and we used to say oh leave your problems at the door and it's like well you can't they're, they're, yeah. they're with you they're, they're things that you really care about they're probably with people you love and you can't just go alright I'm in rugby now I won't I won't uh, think about the fact maybe your marriage is falling apart you're, you're, like you said your parents might be really ill you're, the fact your, your children are not sleeping and you're not getting any sleep and that's affecting your mental health there's so many things that could be going on and it is important that we remember that uh, you're not just uh, not just on the field you're already on the field 80 minutes a, 80 minutes a week if you're lucky um, yeah. and then the fact that the rest of it is probably pretty normal to everybody else yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think something else that's really interesting from my point of view is the amount of different uh, stakeholders that will have an influence over a, a young player's career, but also their their mental health. So there's obviously the club who have the responsibility of signing them, of managing them on, day, on a day-to-day basis. There's the governing body involved as well, who may well have managed them through their age groups and will be governing the sport in general. Then you've got the coaches who on a much more personal level are dealing with that player day to day. The players who will become their friends and their teammates. And then also players associations there as well, looking at it from a slightly more removed point of view. With all of those different people involved in a player's mental health, do you think responsibility lies with one more than the other? Do you think one more than the other has greater influence how do you think they can kind of work together to to help players and their and their mental health? Yeah, I think we've got to understand personalities of players and don't just say, oh, no, it's the club that's got to look after them or it's the Welsh Rugby Players Association who's got to look after them or it's the people's family who's got to look after them. Understanding the players, understanding what they've got around because you, you might have somebody who's just moved to the country so they're going to have a different support network to somebody who's playing for their local club and have got all their family around. So yeah. it's understanding the individual. I know uh, the Welsh Rugby Players Association that, that I do a lot of my work through, and we've got a representative from them called Tim Jones, and he's an absolute legend, and like he's so empathetic. He's, he understands all the players in the team. He's got that bond with them. He's looking after them for things off the field. You know, whatever time, whatever time it was, whether it was three o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the afternoon, you could ring him and he'd have the same response off him because he wants to be there for you. He wants to support you. And we're very lucky in that. And there's got to be a balance between like uh, in the club now, we, we'll have like a, a well-being meeting, which will be um, from me, from a player's point of view, um, a sports psychologist, Steve Mell, as part of like the coaching slash well-being, understanding, professional point of view. And then Tim Jones, like I said, from the Welsh Rugby Players Association, he'll be part of it as well. And that, us three will just uh, batter things back and forth and just say, oh, so-and-so spoke to me about this. We need we need to just make sure we got a bit of support around him. Uh, have you seen so-and-so? Um, it's been quite quiet the last couple of weeks. You know if they've got anything going on. And just our understanding so that we know we can put a support network around them. And probably not all clubs are as fortunate as us to have, to have that system around players, but we are very lucky there. But I don't know... I think it's hard to say, all right, they have to take the main responsibility. 
But I do think everybody needs to take some responsibility. Yeah. So um, whether it's the club, club needs to know what's going on from a Welsh Rugby Player Association and maybe there's no point in doubling up on certain things, but understanding how they can support it or wanting to support it. And then from a, a, a family, your agent's point of view, they need to understand the individual as well and understand that even though you support them to get where they are, to that point to be a professional but they're still going to need support now as well because they're under more intense scrutiny there's a lot more people who've got access to them so it's important yeah. that we do look after them at that point as well and I, th and I think as well it's important to remember that each one of these parties can offer support in a different way so a governing body they can offer training and they can um, put in place advice that, that all clubs can kind of look to but they're not going to have their direct day-to-day conversations with all of the players out there and then in contrast to that a coach he's not going to be able to put in place national training programs on mental health but he is going to be able to have little conversations on a daily basis about how players are feeling how they're doing so whilst everyone uh, needs to take some responsibility I think all of those different responsibilities will look slightly different yeah, definitely. And the huge one is the access they've got to the players. And um, that that is huge. Um, whether you're with them every day uh, or whether you're with them once a month, it's important that you do understand that point of view. And it's important that we have uh, support that's there face-to-face, -face, but we also have confidential support because different people are going to want different things as well. So it's really important that we do find a balance of making that system as robust as possible so players never feel like they're on their own. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we touched on it earlier, how one of those key pressure points for players is the transition out of sport and how having different skills and different projects outside of sport can be really helpful. Um, I know you, you've obviously started living well with Lloyd Ashley. I'd love to hear a bit about what that project is and how it helps you kind of manage the pressures of, of playing professional rugby. Yeah, I've been very lucky, Dad. Through, throughout my career, I've done so many different things off the field, didn't really know where I was going. A man of many talents. Well, no, a man of no talents, and, but <laughs> trying to find one, it was. That's probably what led me down this route. So, um, like I started off, first of all, done like my foundation degree in sports coaching, then realised, actually, if I get thrown out of the game quite early because of injuries, I don't really want to stay around sport. I went yeah. to do plumbing uh, for a couple of years, realised I was too big to get under sinks, and uh, <laughs> after I put my foot through an attic ceiling I thought nah that's probably not for me yeah, uh, yeah went on to do like leadership and management qualifications and thought oh yeah I wouldn't mind dealing with people but then I wanted to get more into the dealing with people and that's why I went down the the uh, introduction to counseling route and then the teaching routes uh, or the lecturing routes so yeah it was quite a few things that led me to to where I am now but the the living well with Lloyd Ashley stuff has has gone really well like I piloted a schools program that I was speaking about earlier the resilience in schools program and that's sort of taken off and I took the risk of uh, offering it to a couple of schools for free to pilot it just to see how it was going to go and then all of a sudden it's taken off and we're, I've been in like um, over 10 different schools already I've worked with universities at di different points I've worked with a lot of the colleges across Wales so that's taken off really well and I've also like I said been into businesses and sp spoke with them so it, it's been really enjoyable uh, and I've what I love about it is going to different environments and yeah. 
Us as humans, we're very similar. And I think at times we, we just look at somebody from the outside, think what their, what their job title is or what their, family, what their family looks like and just think we're completely different to them. But we're very similar and we, we, feel, we feel a lot of things quite similar, but we don't speak about them to realise that. So however we're taking a situation, there's probably somebody else in the room taking our situation the same, but we don't have the conversation to find out. Yeah. And... It's just opening up that conversation, being able to speak and just making different environments feel safe. And that's the hardest thing to do at times because people are scared of the kickbacks if they say it. What are the people going to think about them if they say, oh, come on, let's, let's all just sit down, close our books, let's have a coffee and let's just find out genuinely what is going on with everybody. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, if somebody else comes out, they're that external factor and does it, surprise how quick you can open up the conversation. And and when people understand what confidentiality actually means, they go in, oh, I can say it because it's not going to leave the room. And I'm glad if people around me now know what's going on so so they can support me a little bit. They know if I'm having a bit of a bad day, they can, they can give me a bit of breathing space and those things are really important and they do make environments so much better. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, so I think we've had a really interesting chat around um, the development of, of mental health and sport over the, over the last few years, where it is now and the kind of key pressures that, that uh, players face. But to kind of finish, um, I think it'd be good to look forward and hear your thoughts on the direction that you think sport needs to take to improve awareness around around mental health. I think we have to get it to a point that it's not one-off things being done. Yeah. So it has to be a more robust system. We have to carry on adapting, but the education needs to go a bit deeper. Like we were so lucky over the last two years, we've had a, we've had at least three, one or three, two players, players uh, slash coaching staff slash support staff go through uh, mental health awareness level one, and you, you see them come out the other end of that and the understanding that they've got that they didn't have. And it's important that we just carry on r rolling out these things, get more people with understanding, um, so they can look after themselves, they can look after their teammates around them. And I think if we make it more of a continuous system, to Edward, it's not just, oh, we do a year because it's an academy day. Oh, we do a year because it's the first day of the season that yeah. we make this regular things. We make them updates. We we sit down, we have a coffee, we have a chat. It's got to be a changing environment where we go, no, we're not just looking after you as rugby players or whatever your sport is. We're looking after you as people. And yeah. as soon as people feel safe enough, that is that is the environment. That That is the way we're going to go forward. And it takes time. It takes the fact of people being brave enough to speak and... They're still scared. Let's be honest. That if if a player says, "Oh, I'm str I'm really struggling at the moment," the coach just goes, "All right, yeah, we won't play you this week. We won't play you next week." And then the next player next to him is going, "Oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm struggling then." Yeah, so we need yeah. to we need to speak to players and go. The environment somebody might feel safe in is rugby. That might be their safe space. So yeah. taking that away from them and saying, "Oh no, I've I've two weeks off. Have some rest." That, that isn't a good thing for some people. So basing it on individuals and basing it as people rather than just a blanket thing, that is what's going to move people forward and move how we deal with mental health and mental illness in the, in the future. They, they're the things that are really going to help. And the fact that people have been so brave to come out, and sadly it is mainly ex-pros 
rather than Karen pros. But obviously, like uh, in rugby now with Joe Marler speaking, there's been a lot of other people speaking about whether it didn't go as far as um, mental illness, but still been struggling with their mental health through different things, whether it's injuries or whether it's family stuff. Those things are really going to change the, change the scenes moving forward and we're going to feel, players are going to feel like they can actually speak about what's going on and we're not waiting until somebody's in crisis before we start speaking about things as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a really interesting point you make about mental health support needing to be continuous and not one-off. I think... Um, something we've touched on is that mental health is a, a constant battle for everyone. We all dip in and out of it. We all have low days. We all have high days. And if the message you're sending is that mental health is important on this day because it's the first day of the season, so we'll mention it, or this day because it's academy day, it's not reflective of the, of the fact that every single day people have different struggles and face different mental health issues. And there needs to be a continuous awareness for that. Yeah, and we're also going to listen to things. So if I was having a really good day on that, that one day that we come in, and I'm going, oh, well, I don't need this. Yeah, yeah. But if we make it a continuous thing, they might hit me the fourth, fifth, sixth time that they, somebody opens up the conversation as this conversation because I might be facing something then or I might yeah. be seeing somebody close to me facing something at that point. So that's why it's so important because this the the message might not... Uh, be articulated perfectly for me first time but then somebody else says something the third or fourth time we have a meeting and I go oh that makes sense to me now that's probably why I do feel like I do mm. so that's why it's so important that we do do it continuous we do it in different ways and whether that's like I, I sort of try and share podcasts with people try and share uh, articles with people because some people might like reading it some people might like listening to it some people might like a video of it some people might like just a conversation about it lots of people are going to take in information from different ways and it's important that you do try and get that support out there try and uh, get different things out there and that's why uh, on my Instagram page the living well with Lloyd Ashley Instagram page I, I like to plug different things at different points because it might not affect me right now and it might not be the thing I need, but the, all of a sudden the next thing that goes out, it might be exactly what somebody needed at that point to understand yeah. what was going on. So I do think that we just need to keep adapting. We need to keep changing and we can't just think that, oh, somebody learned from this. That's the only thing we're going to do because we might have had somebody sitting next to them that needed to learn something and didn't from that point of view. So how do we get it for them? So whether we do change our, change our messages slightly just so they, they are like adaptable for everybody in the room yeah no and, and and i think that's why it's so it's so brilliant to have you to have you on and to be having these open conversations about mental health and sport like, like you said it needs to be discussed about more and it needs to be discussed about consistently so it's been absolutely fantastic to hear about you the amazing work you're doing and um and where where it needs to go in the future to to improve um awareness for, for mental health and sport Thank you so much for your time. It has been a real pleasure to, to speak to you about this, this important issue and to hear about the uh, genuinely incredible work that you're doing with uh, uh, Rugby for Resilience and also li Living Well with Lloyd Ashley. Um, thank, thank you. No, thank you very much, Ted. I really appreciate it. And if uh, anybody ever wants to get in touch, um, it's the Instagram uh, page called Living Well with Lloyd Ashley or if anybody's on LinkedIn and wants to communicate through that, uh, please feel free. I'm just Lloyd Ashley on there. Um, you can find me uh, message across, whether it's about schools, university, businesses. Um, got a lot of adaptable programs that work through through a lot of those environments. Uh, please feel free to um, speak to me through those uh, networks. Brilliant. And 
to our listeners, thank you once again for, for tuning into the Erwin Mitchell podcast. Um, I really hope that you found today's podcast as interesting and as uh, eye-opening as, as I have. Um, do make sure to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss out on the other well-being and sport podcasts that we've got coming out over the next couple of months.